Happy Easter, Grace. Today's scripture reading is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of God. Good morning, Grace family. He is risen. It is a joy to gather with you this morning. It is a joy to be able to celebrate with you. Easter Sunday is always a special Sunday. But as Pastor Brady mentioned in his prayer, this, this year adds a new significance to today. Because last year, we were unable to gather for Easter. I still remember standing in front of a camera last Easter Sunday morning in the auditorium. Nobody in the building. And preach to many of you who are all over the area. We were the church scattered. And it was hard. But here we are a year later. By God's grace, we have endured and we are still a church. We are still loving Christ. We are still following after Him. And I don't want you to ever take for granted that we are also the church gathered. To all my GBC members, I just want to say, I love you dearly. I love your devotion to Christ. So thankful for your patience in affliction, your hope, your faith in Christ, your love for each other. It is a joy to pastor this church. To all of our guests here today, maybe a friend or family member invited you. I know there's some joining us online who couldn't make it today. I want to extend a warm welcome to you as well. We're in the series in the book of Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul. The series is called The Fullness of Christ. The Fullness of Christ. Colossians is a book that seeks to enlarge our vision of Christ, enlarge our vision of who He is, what He came to do, and in so doing, also enlarge our vision of who we are in Christ and how we follow Him every single day. Today's message, Christ changes everything. Christ changes everything. In 2007, a computer company made a breakthrough announcement, a huge announcement that would alter our lives in significant ways. A man, a skinny man named Steve Jobs, took to a stage much nicer than this and unveiled the very first iPhone. It had a sleek design. It, it was thin and flat, unlike a phone that had ever existed before. All the buttons were gone except the home button. It was beautiful. It was revolutionary. It was more than a phone, isn't it? And it, and, it, and it sold millions and millions of phones sold and everybody wanted an iPhone and it, and it changed so much. And, and the slogan that Apple used to, to launch the new iPhone and it was on every billboard and, it, and if you were walking to an Apple store, you had a picture of the iPhone and above it was this slogan and it was online on every social media site and the slogan was this. This 
changes everything. This changes everything. Not this changes most things. Not this changes everything in mobile communication. But this changes everything. Now, I'll share my bias. I had that first iPhone. I still have an iPhone. I like having an iPhone. But does this change everything? I mean, sure, I can pay my bills online, which is great. I can video chat with friends and family, which all over the world. I can watch videos and movies and play games. I can listen to audiobooks. I can use a calculator. Oh, and by the way, I can also use it as a phone every now and then. But let's be honest. This doesn't change everything. The iPhone can't change your heart. The iPhone can't bring healing to your marriage. It can destroy it. The iPhone can't take away the shame from your past. The iPhone can't give you the significance that you've been longing for. The iPhone can't change the diagnosis. It can't give you hope. The iPhone is a wonderful piece of technology, and kudos to the marketing team for making it seem larger than life, but no, this doesn't change everything. You know, there might be things that are in your life, in your past, that you might say, that changed everything for me. Maybe it was a good thing. Maybe you were presented with an opportunity. Maybe you got into a school. Maybe you met someone and it changed your life. Or maybe, maybe a job offer was presented to you and you say, you know what? That changed the trajectory of my life. That's awesome. Praise God. It didn't change everything. Or maybe it was something you did in the past, something you're ashamed of that haunts you. Maybe you lost someone or something and I have no doubt that that experience has shaped your life in a profound way. I lost my dad when I was 14 years old. And it has shaped me. And I'm not going to minimize what you've gone through. But I'm here to tell you whatever that thing is that has happened to you, it has not and it cannot change everything. Not even this pandemic that we've endured for an entire year that we're, by God's grace, coming out of. With all of its disruption, all of its distancing, all of its suffering and pain, even this pandemic doesn't change everything. There's only one thing in the universe, church. There's only one person that changes everything about your life and everything in our cosmos, and his name is Jesus Christ. What Jesus did in his death and His resurrection changes everything. It can change everything about your past, everything about your present, and everything about your future. Because Christ changes everything. And I want to show you that from this passage this morning, Colossians 3, 1-4, that Josiah read. I have three simple lessons. Christ changes our past, Christ changes our present, and Christ changes our future. Number one, Christ changes our past. This passage tells us some really important things about Jesus, first and foremost. First, it tells us that Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, Christ was raised, and by implication, if he has been raised, then he must have died. And earlier in Colossians 2 that I read 
before the baptism, it says that Jesus died on the cross to cancel our debt to sin and death. Verse 4, we see that Jesus is coming back to restore all things, take His people to be with Him in glory. These are the foundational truths of the Gospel. Listen, the Gospel is good news. It's the good news of Christianity. It's the only news we have to share. And it is this, that God incarnate came down in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? He came to bring us back to Himself. You see, the reason we need to be brought back to God was because we've all sinned against Him. We've all turned away from God. We all rebel against our Creator. Ever since the beginning, humans have been made in the image of God. We're, we're made to reflect God. We were made out of the overflow of God's love, to have intimacy with God. We were designed to live in communion with God. And yet from the very beginning, we have rejected God's good rule over our lives. And instead, we choose to live as if we are in charge. And don't you doubt that for a minute, because you can see it in the youngest child when they say, Mine! And we basically just never stop doing that. We live our lives alienated from our Maker, and there's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness, to earn ourselves back into His good graces. And that's why Jesus came to earth. He came to live the life that you and I should have lived but never could because of our sin. He came to live the life that was perfect. And then He died on the cross, dying to death. You and I should have died because He bore all of our sin, all of the punishment of our sin, all of the guilt that we deserve, all the guilt of our sin, all of the shame, and He took our punishment on the cross and He died in our place. Listen to me. He did all this because He loves you. Jesus did all this not just because He had to, but because He was glad to. To take your place, to take your just judgment so that you might receive His forgiveness. He died on the cross. That's what we honored and celebrated on Good Friday. He was led up a place called the skull. He was beaten, crown of thorns on His head, wounds in His hands as they drilled nails into His hands and His feet, and He, and he, and he, and he struggled for every breath until He couldn't breathe anymore, and He cried out to His Father, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Don't you see? Jesus had to be forsaken so that you and I might never be forsaken again. And then He cried out before He died, It is finished. If Jesus is like any other religious leader, then he would be dead in a tomb. You know, millions of Muslims every year go to Mecca to, to honor their prophet Muhammad. They know he's still dead. Those who follow the teachings of Buddha know he's still dead. Those who follow the teachings of Confucius or any other religious system, they know that their religious leader is still dead. There's only one man who, when he was living, said, I'm going to die and rise again. And there's only one man who, on an early Sunday morning when the sun was just rising, walked out of that tomb alive, robbed the grave, and said, death has no hold on me. And that's Jesus Christ. He was resurrected from the dead, proving his power over death and hell and the grave proving He can not only forgive your sin that He did on the cross, but give you resurrection life, new life. That's why He says here, Paul, if you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to you, Christian. This passage, this passage is all about our union with Christ. He keeps saying, with Christ, in Christ, 
with Christ. It's about our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, how, does that, how is that possible? Paul will say it all the time. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. In the life I live now, I no longer live in the flesh. Or Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your, your trespasses, God made alive together with Him, with Him, with Christ. Participation. This is a huge theme in the New Testament. When Christ died in a very real sense, you died. Your old self died. And when Christ was raised from the dead, spiritually, you were raised to newness of life because of your union with Christ. That's why baptism is a beautiful picture. That they are united to Jesus in His life, in His death, and in His new life, resurrection life. Here's what this means about your past. Whatever things you have done in the past, whatever failures, whatever brokenness, whatever shame, whatever thing haunts you, all of that was laid on Jesus when He went to the cross. Do you hear me? Not some of it, not most of it, not the small things, not, not just some things. All of it was nailed to Jesus on the cross. Whether your rebellion against God was outward, like younger brother stuff, you know, wild living, prodigal living, or whether your rebellion of God was, was more inward, older brother stuff, Listen, I was a goody two-shoes when I was a kid. I always wanted to do whatever was right, but you know what? My heart was so dirty. My thoughts were so dark. Pride, self-righteousness, bitterness, greed. What this passage is teaching us is that whatever you've done in the past, whatever you were like, has died in the past. If anyone is in Christ, he is What? A new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come. The record of debt against you has been canceled, Christian. Your past has been fully, freely, and forever forgiven. Christ changes your past. Christian, this is true freedom. You don't need to look for freedom in self-actualization. You don't need to look for freedom in something that your phone can give you and how many likes you get and how many people say you're awesome. No, you can look for freedom in Christ knowing that your past has been wiped clean. You are a new creation right now. Lesson two. Christ doesn't just change your past. Christ changes your present. Paul says here, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He's talking about our present union with Christ. How we live with Christ. How we participate in the life of Christ now. Paul is calling us to grow into who we actually are. That growth process is called sanctification. That simply means you're growing in Christ, your spiritual growth. And listen, sanctification is slow. It's an arduous process. My son's growing some vegetables and flowers in a garden that we created, and he puts the seed in. And I want them to see, I want all my kids to see, listen, you put the seed in, and, and, and tomorrow it doesn't magically appear fruit and vegetables. It takes time. Every day you're like looking, where is it? And then you see a little shoot, and then it starts to go a little bit further and a little bit further. It takes time. Same with our spiritual growth. Paul says, seek the things that are above. 
meaning delight in the things that are above, namely, says, Christ. See Christ. Our attention and our affections should be focused on Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you prioritize activities and practices that stir your affections for Jesus? You can say, I want to grow all I want. You can say, I want to follow Jesus. But unless you are engaging in practices that help you seek the things above and not on earth, then you're not going to grow. You're going to feel stuck. What helps you stir the affections for Christ? Obviously, there are things that are very clear. Scripture, God's Word, His Word which is living and active is meant to stir your affections. Prayer, communion with God, worship, community in a small group of people who love Jesus, music. What stokes your heart to want to treasure Christ more, to love Him more, to be more devoted to Him? Whatever those things are, seek those things. Set your mind on those things. This isn't a suggestion. These are the only commands here. Seek and set your heart or set your mind. These are present active verbs, meaning keep doing this. Keep doing this. You say, well, that sounds so lofty. Set your mind on things above. Are we just supposed to be heavenly minded and it doesn't change us who we are now? No. What does it look like to set our minds? He's going to tell us later in verse 12 to 15. He says, here's what this looks like. You're like, all right, I'm in the clouds. Bring me down to earth, Mark. Okay, here's what it looks like when you set your heart and your mind on things above. Put on then as God's chosen ones, verse 12 of chapter 3, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint, forgiving each other. Put on love. Be thankful. You want to know if you are setting your mind on things above, if you're seeking Christ, do those characteristics increasingly reflected in your life? When you set your heart and mind on things above, you remember and believe more fully that everything true of Jesus is now true of you. Where is Jesus now? It says in the text here, verse 1, set your mind, your heart, seat the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is an incredible picture. When a king would send his son off to war, a true son, a brave and honorable son, would go off and fight valiantly for his father and for his kingdom. And when he came back victorious, the king's heart would be overflowing with, with love and admiration and joy for his son has acted valiantly, honorably, sacrificially. And so then the father would, would take the son and place him at his right hand and he would sit down in the highest place of honor in the entire kingdom. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has been bestowed with this honor. But remember, your life Paul says, is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is wrapped up in Christ, which means if you've trusted in Christ, you are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. God delights in you as if you had done everything Jesus has done. I'm talking about you right now, not future you, not better you. You right now are seated with Christ. Do you believe that? Are you setting your mind on these kind of ultimate realities because this change is how we live you're not just a struggling parent you're not just a mid-level employee you're not just 
an average student or a straight A student or a struggling student. You're not just someone who may feel rejected by your friends or rejected by your parents or rejected by your children. You're not just someone who's enduring an illness. No, you are God's beloved child, holy and blameless. You are his pride and his joy. You are more than a conqueror. You are salt and light. You're a city on a hill. Believe it, Christian. Set your mind on those things so that you'll live who you actually are. In verse 4, Paul makes this stunning statement. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Christian, your life is not just shared with Christ. Christ is your very life. Whatever you value most, that is your life. You see, Christian, your, Christ is your life, and yet our deepest struggles in life are due to us seeking things other than Christ to be our life. That's why the warning, don't seek things on earth. What is your life today? What do you value most? Here's how you can answer that. What do you think about when you daydream? What does your mind constantly go to? Obviously, you might be daydreaming about your future vacation or something like that. That's fine. But, but in general, what does your mind go to? What do you want that you think, if I have this life, it is really, truly satisfying and meaningful? Or if I don't have this, if I lose this, life isn't even worth living. Whatever that thing is, that's what you've made as your life. Listen, there are so many of us here who are looking to things other than Christ to be our life. Some of you might want, desperately want your job, your career to be your life, but it will never give you the identity, the, the, the sense of status that you're longing for. Some of you want the, the approval of others, or you seek pleasure or escape in some addictive substance or behavior. Others of us wrap our, our, our lives in our spouse or our children or our home, our, our house, our little house or our body image or our sexuality or our health, whatever that thing is. Those are not necessarily bad things, are they? Those are good things. The problem is when we make a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, you know what that's called? It's an idol. That's just how our hearts work because we are all wired to worship. You may not even be a Christian here. You, you think, I don't even worship God. No, you worship something. All of us value something above all else. We all do it because we're all seeking glory, something to give us meaning, security, hope. And Paul's point is here, the only one who is worthy to be our life is Christ because Christ is the only one that can live up to being our very life. You know what I mean? Your life can't be wrapped up in your security or success because you'll never feel secure enough. You'll never feel successful enough. Your life can't be wrapped up in your spouse or your kids because they're always going to disappoint you. Your life can't be wrapped up in this relationship that you're longing for because you might never get it or you might end up losing it. Your life can't be wrapped up in your health because your health will eventually fail you. No, there's good news in, in, in the gospel, and that is this. When you make Christ your life, when you make Jesus Christ your life, your everything, he's the only one that if you seek him, he will satisfy you deeply. And he's the only one that if you fail him, he's already died to forgive you and promised I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Christ is the only one qualified to be your life. But please understand, your present struggles don't disqualify you from being in Christ. Christ knew you would sin still after receiving the gospel. And yet he still died for you. That means he knew you would not just need the saving power of the gospel, you would need the sanctifying power of the gospel. And slowly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will keep transforming you. He who began a good work in you will see it to full completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, Christian, Christ changes your present. Right now, he is changing you. Right now, you may not even see how he's working, but he's working. You may not even feel him working, but he is working. It's what he does best. It's like that seed under the ground. And my children looking out, oh, nothing's happened. It hasn't, oh no, something's happening. That seed is germinating. You just don't see it yet. Christ changes your present. And then lesson number three, Christ changes your future. Christ changes your future. This may be the best part. Christ didn't just die and rise again so you can experience life here and now. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears. In other words, when he returns. Or when you die and see him face to face. Then you will also appear with him in glory. Christian, your life is hidden with Christ now. But soon Christ will appear and you will experience unimaginable glory. That means whatever battles you're fighting still with sin now, whatever suffering and pain you're enduring now, they can't even compare to the glorious new life you will experience in Christ for all of eternity. The Christian faith is anchored in the life, death, resurrection, and return of Christ. One day Christ will return and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. You know that? Sin and sorrow and, and cancer and diabetes and health and, and heart disease, all of that will be gone. Death itself will be put to death. It will be gone. Everything sad is going to become untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. And we will live with Christ our life forever. That's the point of Easter. That's what we celebrate this Sunday, every Sunday, every single day. Listen, you can't even imagine what you're going to be in the future. C.S. Lewis once said this, that if you were to see your future self, your glorified body, if you were to see that now, you would be tempted to worship it. That's how stunning you're going to be. That's how uh, unimaginably glorious you're going to be. Some of you may not believe that Christ will return. Some of you think this is a great story. Maybe it's a myth. Maybe it's made up. Maybe you think this world is all there is. Do the most that you can in this world. Live it up because once you die, that's it. We're done and we just rot in the grave. If that's true, then guess what? This is a pitiful existence, isn't it? If this is all there is, wow. That's terrible. Even when you eat, drink, and be merry, it doesn't satisfy. 
That means if this is all there is, that means there's no one who's going to right every wrong. That means there's never going to be true justice. That means there's no, there's no ultimate redemption, right? There's no showing how something bad can be made into something good. And that means if this is all there is, nobody is going to restore everything that was lost. But here's what I think. I think most of us here don't believe that. Even if you call yourself an atheist or agnostic, I think deep down you don't really fully buy into that. There's some who do, but most of us don't. Even if you're not a Christian, you don't believe it. Here's how I know. Tell me the movies that you love. Tell me the books that you love, the novels that you read, the stories that you love. You know what I would, I guess, I would guess and I would wager? I would guess that the stories you love that capture your hearts, the movies you go to watch are movies about something that, that there's a great evil that appears on the scene and it's causing an incredible harm and, and there needs to be a rescue, there needs to be a redemption and this unlikely hero steps up and you think, oh, they'll never make it and, and they have to suffer and maybe they even die and they'll ultimately Ultimately, they rescue their people, they rescue the person, and all is made right, and there's a happy ending. And I've said this before, movie critics hate those kind of movies. They want the ones that are really weird and, and, and esoteric and complicated. When you end the movie and you're like, what was that about? And movie critics are like, yeah, that's a great movie, but they're not the ones that are blockbuster hits, are they? We want the movie where the woman, the man, wins the day at great cost and there's a happy ever after, right? Most of us long for that because we long for that to be true of reality. We long for a happy ending. Hear me now. The point of Easter is that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have the assurance of a happy ending. Just as sure as he rose from the dead, Jesus will return and make all things new. No matter the sacrifice or, or pain of life now, the resurrection of Jesus proves Jesus can take our greatest losses and turn them into something more beautiful than we could ever know. Right now, if you come to my house, my kitchen is a disaster. We moved into a new home about six months ago and Things are broken in it, and we knew it, and we, we counted the cost, and we're in it, but we're redoing our kitchen. Our appliances weren't working, and so we, we have a church member and a crew in, and they're tearing walls down and putting in lights and all of our appliances. We don't have, we don't have, a, uh, we don't have anything right now. We're like eating off the floor, a little table here and there. There's dust everywhere. It's awesome. Trust me. Um, but we're making it, right? But we're doing a remodel. We're, we're just fixing it up. But there's this show, and I know Pastor, I, Pastor Brady and I have mentioned this show before, but I just, it's one of my favorite shows. It's called Extreme Home Makeover. And you know, the, the team goes to a family's home, and there's this really heart-touching story about the family. Maybe there's a, a child with special needs, and the house needs to get updated, or maybe they're, they, they just are out of, out of luck, and just something really bad happened to them. And, and the, the team goes in, and, and they tell their story, and they say, what, what do you need? And they're like, well, we, it could be, if, if this was better, and that was better. And they say, we're going to take care of it. You, you go to Disney World. They send them to Disney World for a week. And then they go in and they're always just like, Let, let's not just worry about taking this wall down. Let's demolish the whole thing. Let's raise it down and raise it back up. And they destroy it and they bring the whole community in and everybody's working on it. And they do it in one week. I mean, they're like, the whole thing is destroyed and they're raising this brand new house up and it's exactly what the family needs. They don't even know it. And then they come back. And, and honestly, in TV, there's just this moment 
and there, there's a bus. It's like commercial bus that's in front of the house. So the family pulls up in a car. They gather the car, and they can't see the house because the bus is in the way. And the host is talking to them. Hey, how you feeling? How was your week? What do you think? What do you think we did? What do you think it's going to look like? We don't know. We're excited. And they say, all right, everybody. The whole community's out to watch this. And they say three words. You know what they say? Move that bus. And I love this moment, some of the best moments in TV. And that bus rolls out of the way. And the family sees their new home. And it always gets me because it always gets them. It always exceeds their expectations. It's always something that blows them away. Many of them fall to their knees. They're, they're crying. They can't believe it. They run into the house. They're looking at each room. They're seeing the things that make their life more manageable. The host tells them, by the way, we paid off your house. It's paid in full. This is yours. You own it. It's yours. Enjoy it. Delight in it. Celebrate it. There's that moment, that oh, moment. And we have those in life sometimes, right? Every now and then we'll get that moment, maybe a sunrise or a sunset. Maybe we're at, on a vacation. Maybe, there's a, maybe at your wedding day. Maybe there's moments that we're just like, oh. and then it's gone, isn't it? There's moments that you're like, I wish this could last forever. Would you just listen to me for a moment? When you see Jesus, whether you die and see him face to face, or he returns and take you home, takes you home, Whenever it is, when you see Jesus, when Christ who is your life appears, there's going to be a <gasps> moment and it will never end. There will be a moment, that moment that you long for, that moment that, that itches at your heart, that you, that you try to get back to. You're going to experience an unending <gasps> moment. That's heaven. That's what he's going to do for us. That's the glory we will experience. Christ changes everything. One day, you will get everything back you lost. One day, you will get all the things you never had. One day, the best is yet to come. So let me just ask you, as I close, have you embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is Jesus your life? Notice I didn't ask you, are you a good person? I didn't ask you, do you want to do what Jesus asked you to do and follow his commands? That's not what I'm asking this morning. That's, a, that's another religion. Those are other religions. I'm talking to you about Christianity. I'm asking, have you admitted that you need a Savior and you need Jesus to be your life? Do you want your past forgiven, your present to be empowered, and your future to be secure? Every other religion says, God accepts you if you try to do good and be good. Christianity is the only religion that starts with the premise, you'll never be good enough. And that's why Jesus lived and died and rose again, and that he offers you a gift. Salvation as a gift. Resurrection life as a gift. Not to be earned, but to be received by faith. When you turn to Jesus in faith, he gives you forgiveness and love and eternal life. It cost him everything to give you everything. Do you need to surrender your life to Christ today? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you've tried to follow the teachings of Jesus. 
but you've never actually said yes to Jesus. You've never actually surrendered to him. You have a choice this morning. Every one of us, you who are watching right now, you who are listening, you have a choice. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, you have a choice. You can either accept God's gift of forgiveness or you can reject it. You can accept Jesus as Savior or you can reject him. And you might be thinking, well, I don't like those choices. I don't want to choose right now. Here's all I will say. Not deciding is to decide. Not deciding is to decide. If you know the truth of who God is and what he has done for you in Jesus, if you don't decide now, you're deciding that you want to be your own savior. You're deciding that you want to reject what Jesus did for you. You're deciding to be your own God. And I hate to tell you, you're a crummy God. But, but if you will receive him, if you know what Jesus has done and you admit, I, need, I, am, I, I, I am broken, I need a savior, and you receive the gift of Jesus today, then Christ can change everything for you now and your past and forever. Like these five men and women who walked into the waters, they can tell you Christ changed them, he is changing them, and he will change them. Maybe that'll be the day for you today. Would you close with me in prayer? Father, I lift up every single person who can hear my voice. I lift up every single person who is here who may be wrestling or maybe their heart has, is not wrestling. Maybe it's been softened. You've been already drawing them. They, they know this message. Like, like Pedro shared, he, he's heard it for many times, but, but something clicked. Maybe today, maybe this very moment, something has clicked, and they're ready to receive you. They're ready to put their faith in Christ today. Lord, I pray that you would work right now in their hearts and do what I can't do, do what nobody else can do. Father, bring them the gift of resurrection life. If you want to receive Christ today, would you just pray this prayer in your heart? The words aren't magical. This doesn't save you. It's the faith in your heart. But you can pray something like this. Jesus, I know that I've rejected you. I know that I've turned away from you. But today I turn to you in faith. I trust in you as my Savior who died and rose again to give me new life. I want to follow you as my risen King. Help me to follow you, Jesus. Help me to rest in your finished work. Lord, I pray for everyone here who's already made that commitment. May they be able to just be in awe that Christ changes everything. That's why we're out here today. That's why we bring a pool up. That's why we're going to observe communion. That's why we give of our, of our resources, of our time. That's why, we, that's why we gather together because Christ, you are everything. You are the ultimate reality. This isn't fake. This is, this is truth. This is who we are because this is who you are. Deepen our awe of you that we might seek the things above and set our minds on things above and not on earth that we might be a city on a hill, that this would be a church devoted to Christ no matter the cost, no matter what happens in our world or in our culture, that we might say, Jesus, we will follow you 
no turning back, no turning back. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.